but yeah, I mean, uh, another thing's probably for certain as well. I bet when you walked into the room, you probably, this morning, you probably weren't surprised to see Christmas decorations, right? Uh, you probably weren't surprised to see a, a Christmas tree. That's really loud out there, Ross. Is there a way to, thanks, buddy. You're like my DJ for the, for the day. I definitely, the last thing I want to hear is my own voice the whole time. Um, gosh, do I sound like that? It's really bad. It's really bad. Um, but at this time of year, when you come to church, it's, you have probably some anticipation that whoever is going to be coming up and talking up front and giving the sermon is going to be talking about the birth of Christ. All right, that's sort of like a dead giveaway. Um, I would say, though, that even those that aren't here right now, that are over at Mackers or over at Ministry Cafe or whatever, if we were to all stand up and head out over to Subway and you know, Ministry Cafe and Mackers, and, and we were just to sort of ask people, go over to the Wyoming shops, and we said, so, so tell us about uh, the birth of Christ, or, you know, it'd be, it'd be a bit awkward to ask that, but I would guess, the point is, I would, I would bet that probably most people would be somewhat familiar with the general storyline. There'd be holes in their comprehension, but someone would say, Oh, yeah, round young virgin or something, and Mary, Joseph was the bloke, I think. Uh, isn't there like three kings or three, three dudes that come on camels from, and present stuff to the baby in the farm thing? Right? They're, they'd have some kind of, or they'd probably talk about the dilemma of having no room in the inn, and that's why they needed to go to that farm random manger, whatever that thing is called. There'd be holes in people's comprehension, but I, I would guess, particularly in a Western culture, even a secular one like Australia, that there would be a general sort of, I guess, understanding of the birth narrative, of the nativity, right? Now, the question becomes, what, what exactly this means? And that's where people would probably go, oh, I, I don't know. Right? Like, I, I don't know what the significance of, of it is. I just know you Christians believe that thing, and I've seen those nativity. There's even one right here on Henry Perry. The Catholic Church has it in the school right out in front. There's like that nativity scene sort of thing. Um, that's where it becomes intriguing, is when we begin, because, uh, and again, in a Western world, most of us are pretty familiar with this idea of Jesus and baby Jesus and stuff. But here's where the rubber meets the road is when people begin to say, this is what that event means. Does that make sense? I remember as a kid being dragged to different Christmas Eve services and dragged because I didn't want to go. And I remember as I was there, it was usually at these Christmas Eve services, there was a lot of, a lot of gimmick involved. And... The, the message is centered primarily on sort of the peripheral things, um, sort of the, the byproducts, maybe the, you know, the psychological byproducts of the incarnation or, um, you know, the encouragement to be moral 
or love one another or all of these things that are kind of on the periphery. Uh, I distinctly remember hearing messages like this. Hey, Jesus came and he came as the ultimate gift. He showed us a new way to live and he is the ultimate expression of love. This Christmas, will you open up this gift of love? Or I heard things like this. Hey, Jesus came in a time where people were hurting, where people were confused. Jesus came to heal broken people. He came to give you life and that abundantly. Will you open up this gift of abundant life? Or here's a one a little bit more crass that I've heard recently. You know, Jesus was born in a very tumultuous, politically tumultuous time. And he had to actually take his whole family, they had to get up and flee. They had to migrate to another country. They're like refugees. And look at the people who took Jesus in, political wink, wink, right? Or men and women, boys and girls, with all of the holiday hustle and bustle, with all of the you know, Christmas parties and movies and, and all of the holiday hustle and bustle, just don't forget that somewhere behind all of that is Jesus. Because after all, he is the reason for the season. <laughs> I'm actually mocking that, Colin. But, um, so, now we can't dismiss all of the principles of those sermons, right? I don't want to dismiss often. Now, Jesus did live a perfect life of love. Jesus, if we're Christians and we follow Jesus... We should love other people. Yes, Jesus did come into a broken world because of sin. And there's healing and forgiveness of sin in his name. And I suppose Jesus was a type of refugee, but I think that, that probably misses the point just, just a, a, a tad bit. And yeah, no doubt, we are selfish, distracted people consumed in our own holiday festivities. But then is the solution, is the remedy to that to sort of give a head nod to Jesus? You know, just buried amongst all of the other Christmas festivities, just sort of, you know, give some a mental ascent to that babe in Bethlehem. Just kind of go, yeah, that's true, that's true. Anyway, back to what I was doing. Is that the solution? I suppose all of that is obvious, Let's stop here and think about this for a second. Seriously. How does God sending a baby help us? Like that's, that sounds miraculous and sort of nice and all, but what does that do? Like how does God, I mean, just it's a baby. How, how, how does God sending a baby do anything? Why is that important? Well, one man who wrote many books in the Bible sees this event as 
absolutely critical, as fundamentally uh, life or death, really. And he wrote many books in the Bible, and in one of his books, one of his letters that Jeanette just read for us, he says this. He says, this is a trustworthy, right, and deserving of full acceptance. Do you, do you see what that guy is doing? His name's Paul. He, he's laying all his cards on the table here. You see? He's saying, look, guys, this is totally reliable. In fact, you can bank your very life. You can, you can actually bank your very life on what I'm about to say because it has the promise of God behind it. And what is that? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. At the end of the day, that is what Christmas is all about. But the question then becomes, okay, so who is this man, Christ Jesus? And, and it says that he came into the world, but in what manner, in what way did he come into the world? And it says that he saves sinners, but who are sinners? Do we know any of those people? Are, this the, are those the people that we lock up in prison somewhere? Or I mean, like, who are the sinners? Who is he... Who is he talking about? What is, what is sin? And it's pretty nasty to call someone a sinner, right? So what, what does that mean? Those are the questions I want us to explore. So first, who is this man Christ Jesus? Second, in what way did he come to earth? And lastly, how does he save sinners? So who is this man Christ Jesus? In what manner, in what way did he come to earth? And then how did he save sinners? And I really hope that if you're here and you're a Christian, that this is actually going to be a quick sort of gospel outlay for you as you engage with your non-Christian friends and family. Because this is a wonderful time of year where you can be engaging with people that are perhaps wondering, hey, what was that nativity scene about? Or you can just bring it up, right? I mean, it gets always, you, you can just say, hey, do you, do you ever wonder about baby Jesus? Yeah, kind of. Well, Christ Jesus came into the world. This is who he is. He came in this way to save sinners. That's a little hashtag. That's a tweet from Paul, as it were. Christ Jesus, what's Christmas about, Paul? Here's his Twitter account. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. There you go. So that's where we're headed. I hope it's really clear, and I hope that the Lord encourages your heart, as well as even if you're saying, I know these things, yes, and what are you doing with them? How are you actually taking this gospel information to your non-Christian friends and family? All right? So let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you again for allowing us to, to come together. This is, a, this is truly a gift. Lord, how beautiful it was to sing about... <sighs> Come behold a wondrous mystery. Lord, that, that was encouraging to my soul and no doubt many others. Lord, it, it is a wondrous mystery that you came to earth and in such a lowly state. And Lord, help us not to just 
admire you from a distance, but to really embrace you by faith this morning. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So again, like I was saying, in a Western world, most of us are somewhat, I mean, just out of a show of hands, who's familiar with a nativity, like a nativity scene? Yeah, yeah, okay, everybody, right? Most of us, in a Western world, most of us are, are pretty familiar with that. But it, again, it's tempting just to sort of like, you just kind of leave it there. Like there's the little baby Jesus, you know, being nursed by Mary and et cetera, et cetera. But, but who is that baby? Who, who is Christ Jesus? Well, actually, you might be surprised by this. Jesus, so the name Jesus or you, or you could say Yeshua, it, it actually just means um, deliverer or savior. And the added word Christ, so Jesus Christ, the added word Christ or anointed one, is actually more a description of Jesus's purpose than his actual name. In other words, Jesus Christ is not his name per se, it's more about his messianic title of who he is. Christ is the anointed one, the Messiah. Like in other words, if, if, the Lord got, if the Lord got pulled, this is an awkward thought, but if the Lord got pulled over on the motorway, right? And a cop said, let me see your license. You know, I don't think he'd be speeding, but he just got pulled over for whatever reason. And he said, all right, here's my license. I don't think he would look something like that, right? That's, that's really cheesy. I understand that. But the point I'm making there is that Christ is, suggests a divine title. He is the anointed one, the king of all. So the name Christ Jesus means, here, just a very simple terms, anointed savior. Now, that probably doesn't help you very much. That's just some definition terms. And I say it doesn't help you very much because you can say, yeah, fair enough, cool. We can miss the grandeur, the majesty of who this man Christ Jesus is if we don't sort of park here for a moment and unpack more than just definitions. When you read through the pages of scripture, one thing that's absolutely, absolutely apparent is that this man, Christ Jesus, is the sovereign creator, the sustainer, the ruler of every single nation. So for instance, he is the creator. When you open up your Bible, the very first sentence in it showcases God's creative power. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The entire universe was fashioned by God out of nothing. And he not only creates, but he upholds everything by his mighty power. He maintains all natural laws that function. Listen to some of these verses. Psalm 147, 8 says, the psalmist says, he covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow in the hills. God has appointed every weather pattern that comes to pass. In fact, the book of Job, the book of Job tells us that God commands every lightning bolt where to strike its mark. 
So, you know, when there's thunder and lightning, oh, wow, it's crazy thunder and lightning. God says, strike there, strike there, strike there. That's who God is. Job 36 says that. I remember one time I was on holiday and I came out of the shops and I had my, have you ever, have you ever been in a really severe thunder or, you know, thunder lightning? What am I saying? It's New South Wales. Of course you have, right? It's Australia. You know, and it's, it, it can really like, it can really rattle you, right? It, when, it's, when it's full on. And if you're not, especially if you have to get to the car park and, and, and it's rattling everything. I remember I was walking with my uh, groceries once and it was like this just big lightning bolt. And just, it was one of the thunderclaps, you know? And I was like, whoa, I almost like dropped my stuff. Because it, it sort of just takes your breath away. And that, that's who Christ Jesus is. He says, strike right there. He you see, you understand what goes on in the world, all the weather patterns that we have, the, the Lord is not just idly sitting back and sort of watching it happen. He holds the helm. He ordains everything that happens. Every single weather pattern is commanded by him. The Bible says in Psalm 139, whatever the Lord pleases, Psalm 135, sorry, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth. In the seas and all deeps, he it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. You see, that's who Christ Jesus is. You understand that this is not just some cute little story about this little baby and some far away fairy tale land that has no significance to real life. This is the very one who creates and upholds the entire universe. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And if we read in Colossians 1, it tells us that Jesus is the very agent in creation itself. He not only is the creator, he sustains. The only reason that you're alive right now, friend, everybody look at me. The only reason you have, do you understand? In Australia, in a very secular society, we think that life just sort of happens. The only reason that you have blood pumping through your body right now is because God is keeping you alive. Your life though, hear me, your life hangs by a slender thread of sovereign grace. You could be snuffed out like that. I'm not trying to be a fundamentalist Baptist preacher up here. I'm simply just saying that is the truth of what the Bible communicates. The only reason that you're alive is because the Lord Jesus himself is allowing you by his grace to continue living and breathing. That's who Christ Jesus is. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. And he's also sovereign over every nation. Over every nation. Psalm 47 says this, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. You know, in the Old Testament, and kids, those of you that are here joining, some of you might know this story. God chose a specific people, right? They were the nation of Israel. And God saved them out of bondage, out of slavery in Egypt. And he brought them into their own land, 
a land that says, as it says, flowing with milk and honey, right? But, but here's the deal. As they lived in this land, they couldn't say, oh, sweet, let's just go on permanent holiday. We can live how we want, do what we want. God says, no, 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 no. Here's my rules. This is my kingdom, ultimately. This is my land. I'm giving it to you, but here's my rules. If you break them, let's call it the covenant. If you break this covenant, oh, here's the catch. Uh, I'm actually going to remove you from this land. And there were seasons where the nation of Israel, they did pretty good, right? Only a few bad apples, but on the whole, they did pretty good. But there was always this up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. They were, they, you know, they do bad and then God would sort of spank them and then they go down. They, there's always sort of that happening. And then one day when they had sort of gone off the rails as a nation, the Lord says, enough. I don't feel like you're learning. I'm going to send the Babylonians a very wicked, nasty, heartless, ruthless nation. They're going to conquer you. They're going to take you and you're going to live in this nation. You're actually going to be removed from the land, removed from the temple, removed from my presence, and you're going to be brought to Babylon. You're going to live there for 70 years. Now, why did I tell you all that? Just for fun? No, because God proves that even in that period, in the 70-year period, even with a very wicked nation, like Babylon. The king of Babylon one day is on his roof of his palace, right? Very wicked nation. God's gonna, and God shows that he's sovereign even over this wicked nation, right? What's he doing? He's chilling on the roof of his palace, you know, he's doing selfies of his kingdom behind him, sort of retweeting his own tweets, patting himself on the back. Hey, is, and, and this is what he says. He says, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And you know what God says? We'll see about that one, pal. I'm actually going to make you crawl on the ground like an animal and eat grass to show you that you're not the king. Ultimately, I am. And that's exactly what happens. And at the very end of this humiliated season, what does he do? He sings a song of praise to the sovereignty of God. He says this in Daniel. He says, I blessed the most high. This is the wicked king, that, that guy patting himself on the back. What does he say? I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? Incredible. He does according to his will Everywhere, there is no place where God's will is not accomplished. And he does this from generation to generation. You see, when we do a bit of digging and we begin to sort of pull back for a second, we realize that 
this man Christ Jesus, this babe, is not just some nice little sentimental thing that we admire from a distance and a helpless little babe and we leave the baby there in the feeding trough. But this is actually the sovereign one, the ruler of every nation, the sustainer of human life, the creator. And here's what's amazing. That same son of God, that eternal ruler was sent by the father from eternity into mortality, from glory into flesh, from throne to manger. Just stop and think about that for a second. Absolutely mind-boggling. Whose torso was probably the size of a forearm. As the Getty song says, hands that set each star in place shaped the earth in darkness, cling now to a mother's breast, vulnerable and helpless. Christ Jesus came to earth. Incredible. But in what way did he come to earth? So let's explore that for a bit. You guys still with me? Yes? In what way did he come to earth then? Well, Jesus came as the perfect bearer of God's image. Though he is divine, Jesus took on human qualities. We call this the incarnation. The incarnation. The son of God taking on human flesh. Now, I want to think about that on sort of two levels with you for just a minute here. Because... It's easy to say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, there's songs about that, isn't there? Yeah, God, the, yeah, the human flesh thing. But I want to think about it on two levels. I want to think about, number one, when you think about Jesus' incarnation, I want to think about his outer life and inner life. So his outer life and inner life. Now, what, what, do, I, what do I mean by that? Well, let's start with his outer life. Jesus was born as a baby, like all babies, both then and now. In other words, he had real hands and feet, a head, you know, blood and bones, etc. Um, the Bible tells us that he actually grew as a young boy into right through the teenage years, and it says that he increased in wisdom and stature and grew in favor with God and man. At various points in Jesus's humanity, while he was on this earth, he was hungry, he was tired, he needed sleep, he felt the weight of temptation like every single one of us do, but never gave in to sin. That's his outer life. So what about his inner life? Now, what do I mean by his inner life? Well, the Bible shows Jesus experiencing a full range of human emotions, right? He had compassion. He showed love and affection. He was distressed. He became angry. He experienced joy. He was surprised. He was disappointed. He offered up prayers with loud cries. Jesus was able to have these human experiences because his human nature included a human mind, a psychology, 
with a, with a will. Now, think how massive that is for a second. It's not that Jesus is a good actor. It's not that Jesus was pretending that he actually had, you know, hands and, and feet, and he's kind of like, ooh, just, you know, I'm a ghost. I actually didn't really take on human flesh. Or it's not that he's like, you know, when Lazarus dies, he's not like, oh, how are these crocodile tears? Do they look real? Is it good? Oh, yeah, they're buying it. Okay, sweet. <laughs> he actually experienced in his humanity, he, that's his inner life. He actually experienced this, that emotional pain. Now you're like, oh, okay, well, that's kind of what I picture, Jesus the, sop, the soppy fellow. No, you understand. Remember who he is? Sovereign ruler, let's not forget that, creator of everything, enters into humanity and experiences a full range of human emotions. His outer life and his inner life. Now, the pre-existing son from all eternity did all of that lived a perfect life, was nailed to a cross, why would he do all of that? He was rich, yet for your sakes became poor. Why? Because God the Son came into the world with a fully human nature to accomplish as a man all that God required for humanity, you see. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners which is our last point. But in what way does he save sinners? What, what's, a, what's a sinner? Again, that sounds kind of nasty to call someone a sinner. Well, it might be helpful if we sort of pull back here for a second to answer that. Because if we have to go back to the very beginning, which we've already hinted at, God speaking the world into existence. God also created Adam and Eve. And he, and he created a special place where they could have fellowship, they could have a uh, relationship with him in the Garden of Eden. Most of us know this story, right? They, and this couple did experience God's presence in this special place that he made for them. And they were meant to rule, that God, rule the world that God created for them. But they disobeyed God's good word. They rebelled against him. They broke his command. They sinned. And as a result, they had to leave the special place that God had created for them and go away from God's presence. And it gets worse, by the way. It's not just like, well, that stinks for Adam and Eve. Listen, sin has far-reaching consequences. Now, everyone born into this world is born separated from God because of sin. Every single one of us come into this world not in fellowship with God, but disfellowship. They, we come actually, we're born as enemies of God. Romans 5.12 says this. It says, therefore, going back to Adam, it says, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. You see, the day Adam and Eve sinned, death entered the world. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But there was good news on that day, on that very terrible, sad day, that one day a savior would come. 
One day a savior would come and actually crush death. But hold on a second. How could people all born in sin, like none of us, we, there might be you know, some nice people here, but none of us could do that. Because in order to do that, you have to actually live in perfect obedience to God. You have to actually represent, kind of, you know, Adam, in a sense, represents all of humankind. Well, the, the second Adam, the last Adam, has to actually come and, and, and represent all of humankind again and, and not disobey like the first Adam did, but actually live in perfect obedience to God. And not only that, that's nice for him, but what's he going to do about all the other people back here, all of humanity who broke God's law? Well, then he has to die for those people. See, the Bible presents Jesus as that man. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Lived a perfect life of obedience to the Father. Died as a substitute for rebels in the place of sinners. So all are born into sin. All of us, every single one of us, but Christ Jesus dies for sinners. It's interesting, too, when you think about it. Paul the Apostle, in that passage that Jeanette just read for us, too, he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. I am the chief of sinners. I'm the worst of them all. Paul gets it. He gets his need for grace. Because until you get to the point, you have to understand this. Your sin and my sin is not just like, oh, bummer. God's kind of disappointed with us. Or God's just up in heaven and he's crying his eyes out because we're, we're disobeying him. God hates your sin. He's disgusted by it. So much so that he actually sent his own perfect son to die. That's how bad your sin is. Do you understand? But that's how great the father's love is. That he would send his only son to make a wretch his treasure. You see? So our sin actually is not just like, oh, bummer. We, you know, oh, geez, did I sin? Did I sin today? By your very nature, friend, you sinned. And your sin offends God. I know I sound like the fundamentalist preacher up here again, but your sin offends God. Do you understand? Your sin, deser you deserve hell for that. Just one. Just one. But that's why Christ Jesus came. So that on the cross, he takes not only your sin, but he gives, if you have faith in Christ, just by hearing this, by the way, this doesn't just wash over you guys. There's many of you here that probably haven't actually taken this on quite yet. So do you understand? Just by hearing this, you're not like, oh good, I'm glad that's me. I don't think there's some of you that probably, it's not the case just yet. But if you have faith in Christ, all of your sin transferred to Jesus, all of his perfect obedience given to you in exchange. He made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you understand that 
we often think about Christmas and we think about baby Jesus, and, and rightly so. But we have to grasp the fact that when you think about an infant, right, those soft little hands, right, fashioned by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb, were made so that nails might be driven through them. Those beautiful infant's feet, little and unable to walk, would one day walk up a dusty hill to be nailed to a cross. That beautiful infant's head with sparkling eyes and a beautiful smile, soft skin, was created so that one day men would shove a crown of thorns onto it. Christ Jesus was born to die. He was born so that we might live. He made him who had no sin to be sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus died as a substitute for rebels, for sinners. As the Getty song says, son of Adam, son of heaven, given as a ransom, reconciling God and man, Christ, our mighty champion. What a savior, what a friend, what a glorious mystery. Once a babe in Bethlehem, now the Lord of history. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, what are you going to do with that information? <laughs> You've heard it. What are you going to do with it? Right, because you can't, you can't shrug it off. It, well, you can, but you know what shrugging it off is? It's disobedience. It's actually shrugging, shrugging God off. So, so what are you going to do? I know it seems, and here's the, here's the deceiving thing about 2020 in a Western world like Australia, you can shrug it off and say, whatever, I don't really care. And you could still live a pretty good life on this earth. Go to own a nice house, go to concerts, watch movies with your friends, have barbecues, enjoy pavlova next week. You can do all of those things and it seems like, eh, take it or leave it, right? Like, who cares? It's sort of irrelevant. It's nice for other people. That's very relevant. But look, one day, every single one of you in this room, in 100 years from now, everyone in this room will be gone. Unless someone lives to 101 or something. Or two or whatever. But in 100 years, if we were to sort of, you know, come back here in 100 years from now, none of us are going to be here. We're all going to be gone. Merry Christmas. <laughs> all right? And, and, and we're all going to go... Every single one of us, the Bible says, they're all going to appear before God. So what, what, what are you doing with this information? Are, are you actually like placing your faith in Jesus? Jesus alone for the hope of forgiveness and eternal life? Or are you just shrugging it off? Again, if you shrug it off, that's still a response. Apathy, apathy is actually just 
snubbing your face, like your nose at God, really. It's, it's really, it, I, I, you might seem like it's safe and you can just be apathetic, but that's still rejecting, you see. So what are you doing? Jesus, and listen to this. Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. Did you hear that? There's no middle ground. Oh, I'm not against Jesus. If you're not a Christian and you haven't embraced these things and you're not living for God right now, following Jesus, you're against him. You are. Your apathy not only is a result of that you're not a Christian, by the way, your apathy shows that you're against Jesus. So what are you doing with this information? And if you're a Christian, oh, I hope this is like a cold drink on a hot day, right? Like, praise God that he made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That the reason that we're like talking about Christmas and all these things is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save who? Sinners like us. People that would not only live a life of destruction or pride, let's say it's not even destruction, just a level of pride and arrogance, whatever, and still come to the end of it only to be thrown into hell forever. But because of Jesus, we can be saved. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's what Christmas is about. If, if like, I was thinking about this. If, If you're, you know, with all the Christmas lights, if your neighbor across the street or two houses down or whatever, if with all the Christmas lights going on, their house caught fire, and you smelled the smoke, and it was like 1 a.m. You ran out in the street, and their house is ablaze, right? And, and, you, and you looked through there, the window, and you could see, actually, their master bedroom, and you see that they were just dead asleep, right? Not dead, but they're asleep, right? You can still see they're breathing. The house is on fire. I mean, you'd be a moral monster not to, like, actually run in and try to go save them, Right? And yet, your f- friends and your family member and your neighbor, if it's much more severe than just the house burning down and them losing their physical life. They're in risk of losing their entire spiritual destiny, their entire spiritual life. You, you have, friend, if you're a Christian, not only is this the cold water on a hot day, you have this hope, you have this message to take to your neighbors. What are you doing with it? How do you think your neighbor is going to hear about Jesus. You can invite them to the Christmas Eve service. I bet you most of them don't come. <laughs> I hope they do. That's not to discourage it. I just, right? I, they probably, oh, yeah, thanks. What am I doing? Uh, I'm doing Christmas cookies. That's what I'm doing. Um, maybe they'll come. Maybe they won't. But you have this message. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, to bring to them. It's an opportunity And if you're a Christian, wouldn't it compel you, like at the Burning House illustration, to go do that, to to feel a sense of urgency, right? And so that's what I want to leave you with today. So what's Christmas all about? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for sending your son we would have remained in sin and in rebellion against you. But Lord, for those that have placed their faith in you, that is a gift 
Faith itself is a gift. We thank you that you have saved us. Lord, help us not to pass up opportunities to share with family members, friends, neighbors, loved ones, this truth. The real meaning behind Christmas. We pray, Lord, for those that, Lord, I, I know here, I, I could, in, in, even in my, in my head, Lord, there's, there's quite a few that seem indifferent to this. They've been coming here for years, Lord, but for whatever reason, they think themselves to be okay. They think their indifference is acceptable. Pray that, Lord, that you'd actually convict them of that. Show them otherwise. Show them the truth of where they're at and grant them repentance and faith, we ask. Lord, for those of us that are in Christ, we thank you that now we can take this time and celebrate that together. We can be reminded that your body, your actual real physical body was broken. Real blood was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. If you're here and you're saying, yes, I am in fact a Christian, I have been converted. I have been born again. This is a time for you to say, I'm going to celebrate that reality by remembering Jesus' body broken for me, the blood that was poured out on the cross. If you are not a Christian, I would strongly encourage you not to take the bread or the little cracker and the juice, but to let those things pass by and to really reflect about then okay, what does it mean? Why aren't I doing this? And what does it mean to be a Christian? Okay, so I'd ask the ushers to come forward and we're gonna take these elements together. Um, so when they do, what we have been doing is having the band come up and sing, you know, during the COVID season. But what we're gonna do is they're gonna come and pass the items out and we're gonna, the band's not gonna come up quite yet, but what was gonna happen is you're gonna take off all the little bits and pieces, get those things ready. We'll take them together as a church. Um, and during this time, there'll be some instrumental music that's playing, but I encourage you to really reflect upon what you are doing um, in this time of communion. So let's think about that now.